0: Book Three, Chapter Twelve of In Search of the Castaways. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. In Search of the Castaways, or The Children of Captain Grant by Jules Verne. Book Three, Chapter Twelve strangely liberated. Just as the sun was sinking behind Lake Taupo, behind the peaks of Tuahua and Pukapapu, the captives were conducted back to their prison. They were not to leave it again till the tops of the Wahiti ranges were lit for the first fires of day. They had one night in which to prepare for death. Overcome as they were with horror and fatigue, they took their last meal together. We shall need our strength, Glenarvan had said, to look death in the face. We must show these savages how Europeans can die. The meal ended. Lady Helena repeated the evening prayer aloud. Her companions, bareheaded, repeated it after her. Who does not turn his thoughts toward God in the hour of death? This done, the prisoners embraced each other. Mary Grant and Helena, in a corner of the hut, lay down on a mat. Sleep, which keeps all sorrow in abeyance, soon weighed down their eyelids. They slept in each other's arms, overcome by exhaustion and prolonged watching. Then Glenarvan, taking his friends aside, said, My dear friends, our lives and the lives of these poor women are in God's hands. If it is decreed that we die tomorrow, let us die bravely, like Christian men, ready to appear without terror before the Supreme Judge. God who reads our hearts knows that we had a noble end in view. If death awaits us, instead of success, it is his will. Stern as the decree may seem, I will not repine. But death here means not death only. It means torture, insult, perhaps, and here are two ladies." Glenarvan's voice, firm till now, faltered. He was silent a moment and having overcome his emotion he said addressing the young captain john you have promised mary what i promised lady helena what is your plan i believe said john that in the sight of god i have a right to fulfill that promise yes john but we are unarmed no replied john showing him a dagger I snatched it from tay when he fell at your feet. My lord, whichever of us survives, the other will fulfill the wish of Lady Helena and Mary Grant." After these words were said a profound silence ensued. At last the Major said, My friends, keep that to the last moment. I am not an advocate of irremediable measures. I did not speak for ourselves, said Glenarvan. Be it as it may, we can face death. Had we been alone, I should ere now have cried, my friends, let us make an effort, let us attack these wretches, but with these poor girls." At this moment John raised the mat and counted twenty-five natives keeping guard on the Weratua. A great fire had been lighted and its lurid glow threw into strong relief the irregular outlines of the paw. Some of the savages were sitting round the brazier; the others standing motionless, motionless, their black outlines relieved against the clear background of flame, but they all kept watchful guard on the hut confided to their care. It has been said that between a vigilant jailer and a prisoner who wishes to escape, the chances are in favor of the prisoner. The fact is, the interest of one is keener than that of the other. The jailer may forget that he is on guard. The prisoner never forgets that he is guarded. The captive thinks oftener of escaping than the jailer of preventing his flight and hence we hear of frequent and wonderful escapes. But in the present instance hatred and revenge were the jailers, not an indifferent warder. The prisoners were not bound but it was because bonds were useless when five and twenty-five men were watching the only egress from the Weratua. This house with its back to the rock which closed the fortress was only accessible by a long narrow promontory which joined it in front to the plateau in which the pa was erupted. On its two other sides rose pointed rocks which jutted out over an abyss a hundred feet deep. On that side descent was impossible and had it been possible the bottom was shut in by the enormous rock. The only outlet was the regular door of the Weratua, and the Maoris guarded the promontory which united it to the Pa like a drawbridge. All escape was thus hopeless, and Glenarvan, having tried the walls for the twentieth time, was compelled to acknowledge that it was so. The hours of this night, wretched as they were, slipped away. Thick darkness had settled on the mountain. Neither moon nor stars pierced the gloom. Some gust of wind whistled by the sides of the pa, and the posts of the house creaked. The fire outside revived with the puffs of wind and the flames sent fitful gleams into the interior of the Weratua. The group of prisoners was lit up for a moment. They were absorbed in their last thoughts and a death-like silence reigned in the hut. It It might have been about four o'clock in the morning when the Major's attention was called to a slight noise which seemed to come from the foundation of the post in the wall of the hut which abutted the rock. McNabbs was at first indifferent but finding the noise continued. He listened. Then his curiosity was aroused and he put his ear to the ground. It sounded as if someone was scraping or hollowing out the ground outside. As soon as he was sure of it, he crept over to Glenarvan and John Mangles and startling them from the melancholy thoughts led them to the end of the hut. Listen, said he, motioning them to stoop. The scratching became more and more audible. They could hear the little stones grate on a hard body and roll away. Some animal in his burrow? said John Mangles. Glenarvan struck his forehead. Who knows said he it might be a man. Animal or man answered the Major I will soon find out. Wilson and Obanet joined their companions and all united to dig through the wall. John with his dagger the others with stones taken from the ground or with their nails while Mulrady stretched along the ground watched the native guard through a crevice of the matting. Those savages sitting motionless around the fire suspected nothing of what was going on twenty feet off. The soil was light and friable and below lay a bed of siliceous tufa therefore even without tools the aperture deepened quickly. It soon became evident that a man or men clinging to the sides of the paw were cutting a passage into its exterior wall. What could be the object? Did they know of the existence of the prisoners, or was it some private enterprise that led to the undertaking? The prisoners redoubled their efforts. Their fingers bled, but still they worked on. After a half an hour, they had gone three feet deep. They perceived by the increased sharpness of the sounds that only a thin layer of earth prevented immediate communication. Some minutes more passed, and the Major withdrew his hand from the stroke of a sharp blade. He suppressed a cry. John Mangles, inserting the blade of his poniard, avoided the knife which now protruded above the soil, but seized the hand that wielded it. It was the hand of a woman or child, a European. On neither side had a word been uttered it was evidently the cue of both sides to be silent. Is it Robert? whispered Glenarvan. But softly as the name was breathed Mary Grant already awakened by the sounds in the hut slipped over toward Glenarvan and seizing the hand all stained with earth she covered it with kisses my darling Robert said she never doubting it is you it is you yes little sister said he it is I am here to save you all but be very silent brave lad repeated Glenarvan. watch the savages outside said Robert Mulrady whose attention was distracted for a moment by the appearance of the boy resumed his post It is all right, said he, there are only four awake, the rest are asleep. A minute after, the hole was enlarged, and Robert passed from the arms of his sister to those of Lady Helena. Round his body was rolled a long coil of flax rope. My child, my child, murmured Lady Helena, the savages did not kill you. No, madam, said he. I do not know how it happened but in the scuffle I got away. I jumped the barrier. For two days I hid in the bushes to try and see you. While the tribe were busy with the chief's funeral I came and reconnoitered this side of the path. I saw that I could get to you. I stole this knife and rope out of the desert hut. The tufts of bush and the branches made me a ladder. But I found a kind of grotto already hollowed out in the rock under this hut. I had only to bore some feet in the soft earth, and here I am. Twenty noiseless kisses were his reward. Let us be off, said he in a decided tone. Is Paganel below? asked Glenarvan. Monsieur Paganel? replied the boy amazed. Uh, yes is he waiting for us no my lord but is he not here inquired robert no robert answered mary grant why have you not seen him Asked glenarvan did you lose each other in the confusion did you not get away together no my lord said robert taken aback by the disappearance of his friend paganel we'll lose no more time said the major Wherever Paganel is, he cannot be in worse plight than ourselves. Let us go. Truly, the moments were precious. They had to fly. The escape was not very difficult except the twenty feet of perpendicular fall outside the grotto. After that, the slope was practicable to the foot of the mountain. From this point, the prisoners could soon gain the lower valleys, while the Maoris, if they perceived the flight of the prisoners, would have to make a long round to catch them, being unaware of the gallery between the Weratua and the outer rock. The escape was commenced, and every precaution was taken. The captive passed one by one through the narrow passage into the grotto, and John Mangles, before leaving the hut, disposed of all the evidence of their work, and in his turn, slipped through the opening and let down over it the mats of the house, so that the entrance to the gallery was quite concealed. The next thing was to descend the vertical wall to the slope below, and this would have been impracticable, but that Robert had brought the flax rope which was now unrolled and fixed to a projecting point of rock, the end hanging over. John Mangles, before his friends trusted themselves to this flax rope, tried it. He did not think it very strong, and it was of importance not to risk themselves imprudently as a fall would be fatal. This rope, said he, will only bear the weight of two persons, therefore let us go in rotation. Lord and Lady Glenarvan first, when they arrive at the bottom, three pulls at the rope will be a signal. to us to follow, I will go first, said Robert. I discovered a deep hollow at the foot of the slope where those who come down can conceal themselves and wait for the rest. Go, my boy, said Glenarvan, pressing Robert's hand. Robert disappeared through the opening out of the grotto a minute later, the three poles at the cord informed them the boy had alighted safely. Glenarvan and Lady Helena immediately ventured out of the grotto. The darkness was still very great, though some grayish streaks were already visible on the eastern summits. The biting cold of morning revived the poor young lady. She felt stronger and commenced her perilous descent. Glenarvan first, then Lady Helena let themselves down along the rope till they came to the spot where the perpendicular wall met the top of the slope. Then Glenarvan, going first and supporting his wife began to descend backward. He felt for the tufts and grass and shrubs able to afford a foothold, tried them and then placed Lady Helena's foot on them. Some birds suddenly awakened flew away uttering feeble cries and the fe- Tibbs trembled when a stone loosened from his bed rolled to the foot of the mountain. They had reached halfway down the slope when a voice was heard from the opening of the grotto. "Stop," whispered John Mangles. Glenarvan, holding with one hand to a tuft of tetragonia, with the other holding his wife, waited with breathless anxiety. Wilson had had an alarm. Having heard some unusual noise outside the Wiratua, he went back into the hut and watched the Maoris from behind the mat. At a sign from him, John stopped Glenarvan. One of the warriors on guard, startled by an unusual sound, rose and drew nearer to the Wiratua. He stood still for about two paces from the hut and listened with his head bent forward. He remained in that attitude for a minute that seemed an hour, his ear intent, his eye peering into the darkness. Then shaking his head like one who sees he is mistaken, he went back to his companions, took an armful of dead wood and threw it into the smoldering fire which immediately revived. His face was lighted up by the flame and was free from any look of doubt. And, after having glanced to where the first light of dawn whitened the eastern sky, stretched himself near the fire to warm his stiffened limb. All's well, whispered Wilson. John signalled to Glenarvan to resume his descent. Glenarvan led himself gently down the slope. soon, Lady Helena and he landed on the narrow track where Robert waited for them. The rope was shaken three times and in his turn John Mangles preceding Mary Grant followed in the dangerous route. He arrived safely rejoined Lord and Lady Glenarvan in the hollow mentioned by Robert. Five minutes after all the fugitives had safely escaped from the Weratua, left their retreat and keeping away from the inhabited shores of the lakes. They plunged by narrow paths into the recesses of the mountains. They walked quickly, trying to avoid the points where they might be seen from the pa. They were quite silent and glided among the bushes like shadows, Weather, hmm, where chance led them, but at any rate they were free. Toward five o'clock the day began to dawn bluish clouds marbled the upper stratum of clouds the misty summits began to pierce the morning mist the orb of day was soon to appear and instead of giving them the signal for their execution would on the contrary announce their flight it was an, of vital importance that the, before the decisive moment arrived they should put themselves beyond the reach of the savages so as to put them off their track but their progress was slow for the paths were steep lady glenarvan climbed the sl- slopes supported not to say carried by glenarvan and mary grant leaned on the arm of john mangles robert radiant with joy triumphant at his success led the march and the two sailors brought up the rear another half an hour and the glorious sun would rise out of the mist of the horizon for half an hour the fugitives walked on as chance led them Paganel was not there to take the lead he was now the object of their anxiety and whose absence was a black shadow between them and their happiness but they bore steadily eastward as much as possible and faced the gorgeous morning light. Soon they had reached a height of five hundred feet above Lake Tapo, and the cold of the morning, increased by the altitude, was very keen. Dim outlines of hills and mountains rose behind one another, but Glenarvin only thought how best to get lost among them, time enough by and by to see about escaping from the labyrinth. At last the sun appeared and sent his first rays on their path. Suddenly a terrific yell from a hundred throats rent the air. It came from the Pa, whose direction Glenarvan did not know. Besides, a thick veil of fog which spread at his feet prevented any distinct view of the valleys below, but the fugitives could not doubt that their escape had been discovered and now the question was would they be able to elude pursuit had they been seen would not their track betray them and at this moment the fog in the valley lifted and enveloped them for a moment in a damp mist and at three hundred feet below they perceived a swarming mass of frantic natives while they looked they were seen renewed howls broke forth Mingled with the barking of dogs, and the whole tribe, after vainly trying to scale the rock of Weratua, rushed out of the pa, and hastened by the shortest paths in pursuit of the prisoners who were flying from their vengeance. End of book three, chapter twelve.